I have a chapter in the Conference of the Books, two chapters, where I talk about the beating verse. I would really love for you guys to study these chapters. They're, they're not long, but the short of it is it's not talking about a husband beating his wife. It is talking about a procedure for particular accusations, and the chapter goes, and so after you read it, I can answer it. The other thing is, men are, when it says, qawwamun, qawwamun is qiyamah, you can read it, guardians, protectors, caretakers, servants, the word qawama can have a variety of meaning. But what is really important in this passage is bima anfaqu, according to what they spent. And it's like um, Ibn Arabi says in, in his Tafsir al-Quran, he says, it is making, it is conditioning or clarifying that the issue is about who has the obligation, the primary obligation to spend unless otherwise agreed upon. So the presumption in a marriage, bima anfaqu, which means that kawama has to do with the obligation to spend that doesn't talk about authority, it doesn't talk about guardianship, it doesn't talk about who's the master, who's the not master. It is saying that men are the ones responsible for spending. Bima and faqu. And bima faddalullah, faddalullah means what God has given them. So it's as if saying men are the ones who usually have the money, and so they're the ones who have the obligation to spend. Now, I can vary this obligation, and this is quite, again, the influence of Muslim women, Jewish, and Islamic legal interpretation, is that they say that if a husband, they have these long discussions about whether a husband can prevent his wife from earning money, and the answer is no. I mean, the unequivocal answer is that a woman has a right to earn her own money and to keep it. Now, but if the family has a need, if there is need in the family, then the agreement of infaq, of qiwama, can be varied accordingly. So if I and my wife agree that, okay, the presumption is you, the husband, have the financial responsibility, and then at some point we reach an agreement in the marriage that no, it's 50-50 or 40-60 or whatever it is, or that we just share the responsibility equally, the issue of Kuwama goes away. Because it is now the financial responsibility. And it is it was the reason for the occasion for revelation of this verse, which is by the way has nothing to do with the beating, so called beating verse, because it's actually not a beating as issue. It's it's a anyway, you reach after on this particular verse. But on the Kuwama issue, it's basically there was some tribes in Arabia, they had two different practices was Islam negated. One was that in marriage, the wife's, the family or the tribe of the, the wife would pay a dowry. And by the way, that, that practice still survives in some Arab tribes, where the wife pays a dowry to the man. Second, there were some tribes that if the tribe if the wife was from a lowly family and the husband was from an honorable, especially Meccan family, then the 
lowly family would pay what they called an honor price. They would pay money to the aristocratic family as part of the marriage agreement. And the Kawama verse came clearly negating these practices and said, no, 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 dowry paid by the female under the circumstances of Arabia, especially at the time, and this whole the honor price is void, it negated it and voided it and said, presumptively the man has the obligation of financial responsibility because they're the ones that usually have the money. And then Muslim jurists after that, they made it very clear that agreement could be varied if, as long as we're not talking a dowry by the wife or an honor price, if the need for the family and according to the wealth of each. So, again, I mean, one of the, the things that I very much irks me about Wahhabi Islam is that it took the Qawama verse, and even the way they translated the verse, they translated it as men are the guardians of women. Where? Where do, how? And they spread it all around the Muslim world. As if, I mean, if you would have come and told my mother who was raised in a family of shiuch, that her husband is her boss, she would have beaten you up. <laughs> I mean, my mother wouldn't beat anyone, but <laughs> she would have done that, you know. It's, 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 it's an, I mean, it's an, an absurdity, because it, it so we get, we get rid of racism and we have sexism. Islam is the message of emancipation. Memorize that. Islam is the message of emancipation. And so it cannot enslave one to the other, whether at the basis of race, class, or sex. And any situation that puts a human being as a slave to the other because of class, race, or sex is completely inconsistent with Islam. And one of the books that I wish would be translated, one of the series, one of my teachers, Sheikh Muhammad Ghazali, one, probably one of the most remarkable theologians of the modern age, he wrote 35 books. And if I tell you the single theme of his 35 books is to remind Muslims, and he was reacting to Wahhabi Islam, I mean, because it was spreading during this time, is exactly that. And if they're translated to English, I think they would be, uh, they would be amazing. Because it's consistently reminding people why Islam exploded upon the world scene and spread so fast. And in places like Indonesia and Malaysia, it produced a cultural and social revolution because the idea was extremely liberating for especially the dispossessed classes. I was just going to ask, what if the guy makes so much less and then the woman and the wife is, say, like, makes so much money, for example, if the husband is a cab driver or school teacher, elementary school teacher, and the wife is an anesthesiologist or successful lawyer that makes a whole bunch of A lot of jurists tell you that, that the wife doesn't have an obligation to spend on the husband and that if she does, then she has a right to consider it as a debt upon the husband. But I am among those Jews who will tell you that that would be a bad marriage. Oh, a debt? No, it would be a bad marriage if the wife sees that her husband and children are needy and she's rich and the husband is poor and doesn't help out. 
it's a bad marriage because it affects her children. And um, and considering it a debt, again, it would be a bad marriage. So, you know, if if someone comes and tells me, no, don't tell me about bad marriage, just tell me about rights. In my view, nothing is achieved through coercion. But I would strongly tell her wife that she owes an Islamic obligation to take her children if she's actually much richer than her husband. Whether she takes care of her husband is not my concern. I mean, even if she doesn't like her husband, her children shouldn't suffer. And there is, I think, the classical, traditional view of the man is the provider regardless of the circumstance. It's problematic. I mean, it is very empowering to have the idea that women don't, um, so that men can, when, when, when the Quran came and said the issue of Qana, it was because men were so financially in control that it wanted to make it clear that they have an obligation to provide for the family and that they cannot shirk off that responsibility. But by the same logic, every situation we need to look at the equities, what's fair. And I think that's far more consistent with what the spirit of true Islam is than any mechanical, you know, type of... Uh, so imagine if you are, uh, you know, your wife works and you're a student. And your wife says, no, I'm not going to spend the time, go, you have to provide. Is that beautiful in God's eyes? Is that pleasing to God? No. So I, I don't like the type of legal logic that leads to exploitation and suffering. Mm. It's not consistent with the spirit of true Islam. Because Muslims all over the United States need to hear that this is Islam. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And Muslims everywhere, once they hear it, they say, oh yes, I've always known this. We actually know it. We all know it. But we forget it with all the, the propaganda that we get from Wahhabi Islam, we eventually sort of, it, we forget it. But once we hear it, we say, oh yeah, you're not saying anything new. I've actually known this from the very beginning. And you read the Quran and, you know, that, that feeling that a lot of people, when they, when they read the Quran for the first time, you know, a lot of people that come to Islam and after reading the Quran say, oh, I feel so liberated. It's like I can breathe for the first time. And then they spend enough time around Wahhabi Islam and then that sense of breathing goes mm -hmm. away and they realize, I can't breathe anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's very sad.